Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Issues 2018. I'm Steve McIntosh. And my guest is Jim Remar, President and CEO of the Kansas Cosmosphere and Space Center in Hutchinson. Welcome to Issues 2018. Thanks, Steve. I'm happy to be here. I was just thinking that you and I did an interview, but it's been, been a while. It's been a bit, yeah. Um, it was, it was uh, actually in the old building. So, right. Yeah. So it's been like a couple of years at least. Well, recently, the Cosmosphere received a big grant from NASA. Yes, we did. We're Tell very excited. Tell us about it. Tell Abs- us about it. Absolutely. So we uh, were the recipients of, of the NASA Team 2 grant, uh, which awarded us uh, $650,000. Uh, there were 43 uh, applicants, and only three were given awards. So we're very excited and honored to have been chosen. And this project uh, is, is a great one for us. It's going to allow our team to create curriculum as well as traveling exhibits centered around mission control. Um, So a lot of uh, people think about uh, the Cosmosphere and astronauts, but we're going to introduce uh, mission control. What is that? So mission control is uh, where the uh, engineers control the the operation, the flight operation. So anything that goes up, uh, mission control in Houston uh, has operation uh, control over that. And so our educators are going to develop a curriculum that puts students uh, in a simulated mission. And we have control, actual mission control consoles from the back room of mission control where engineers sat during the Apollo program. And so we're going to build an exhibit around it. And so we'll introduce uh, this curriculum and the exhibits uh, to schools, to museums all over the country. And the grant will fund the development of 12 of them. Uh, We'll then uh, send those out to Kansas schools, uh, Challenger Learning Centers, and then Smithsonian affiliates across the country. You say create 12 of them. Are they going to a truck or something? They will. So we will uh, create uh, an exhibit that's, you know, roughly uh, 10 foot by 10 foot uh, by 8 foot high. Uh, our Space Works Division will create the exhibit, the, the graphics, um, as well as the uh, interactive with the console. And then each one of these will be created up. Uh, our team will then ship them out and then arrive to install on site. They'll spend uh, anywhere from, from four weeks to a couple of months uh, at the school or at the uh, museum. And then the educators there will take their participants through it, and then our team will come back, pack it up, and uh, uh, ship it on to the next uh, institution. So these consoles, will they have electronics? Can you hit switches and, and talk back and forth? What can you do with Absolutely. Them? So <laughs> the, the consoles themselves um, are, uh, in terms of modern technology, a little antiquated. Um, it, it's interesting that the flight controllers, when they were getting manned to the moon, had about 65K of memory uh, in their computers, which... Uh, you know, our phones have significantly more phone, computing power. Yeah, our phone probably has more. So what that. we're going to do is is we're going to do a little history meets modern. Uh, so we'll we'll put some modern uh, computer monitors, LED monitors, where the old CRT mo- uh, cathode ray tube uh, goes. <laughs> and then we'll have uh, computers in there. 
and then we'll have touch screens and things so the the kids can interact with the console utilizing modern technology. It's my understanding that the space program itself was instrumental in getting computers where they are. Today. Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, we we've uh, we're doing a. a restoration project right now for Mission Control down at Johnson Space Center. And they took us back into a, a room uh, where the old mainframes used to be. And, and you know, you're talking a, a room uh, that's probably 3,000 square feet in size where these huge racks uh, would be. Mm-hmm. And early on, uh, uh, IBM and, and the groups at MIT were, were instrumental in developing the, the computers for uh, the Gemini and Apollo program. And, and a lot of those developments led to the the computing power that we have today. Now, have you received NASA grants in the past? Uh, we have, but it's it's been a number of years. Um, it's it's probably been at least uh, ten plus years, uh, okay. if not longer, since we've received a NASA grant. We have applied over the last five years, uh, six years, but uh, have not been awarded. And so, um, it I think this just signifies our relationship with NASA, shows uh, the the um, recognition uh, of the cosmosphere, and allows us uh, to, to really get part of our uh, collection as well as our education programs out for more people to appreciate. Now, how long have you been with the Cosmosphere? Well, I'm in my second tour of duty. I was there uh, originally from 2000 to 2008, uh, left uh, for four years, and then came back in 2012 as President and Chief Operating Officer officer, and then uh, was named CEO uh, this past January. Tell us about the history of the Cosmosphere. When was it built, and, and where did the idea come from? Well, the, the Cosmosphere has a great history. Um, we were started in 1962, and really as a dream of, of Patty Carey. Um, Patty Carey uh, was a, a local civic leader, uh, philanthropist. Um, she was really a doer. Um, and she had a love of astronomy and a love of the stars. And Patty wanted to do something to share that love with the community. Uh, she was also someone that you could not tell no. So she went to her friends and uh, twisted a few elbows and, and raised enough to purchase a, a used star projector and a small dome, which she set up in the poultry building on the state fairgrounds. Uh, the reason why the poultry building, it was the only building that had a roof tall enough to accommodate the dome. Yeah. Uh, so Patty set that up uh, in 1962, and the Hutchinson Planetarium took off. People enjoyed it uh, so much so that in 1966, the Hutchinson Community College invited Patty to come onto their campus. And so they built a planetarium that Patty moved into. And from uh, 66 to uh, 1980, uh, that planetarium operated. Uh, but Patty and, and her board wanted to do something more than just a planetarium. They wanted to be able to develop a, a science education center. They wanted to preserve the, the history of space exploration. And so in 1980, uh, we opened the Kansas Cosmosphere and Discovery Center, uh, underwent various um, expansions. Uh, our most recent expansion was opened in 1997. It's hard to believe that was 21 years ago. Um, but today, we're the most complete, comprehensive uh, space museum in the world dedicated to telling the story of the space race, uh, the only museum in the world that tells it from both the points of the United States as well as the, the former Soviet Union. Um, we're a, a world-class museum in 105,000 square feet that not only has uh, the museum, but 
wonderful, leading-edge, uh, hands-on education programs. So a uh, tremendous center today. How is the Cosmosphere funded now? We are mostly self-generated. Um, out of our operation, we're probably 75% self-funded and then 20% uh, uh, other funds, uh, 20 to 25%. Um, we generate our revenue through our ticket sales, uh, so purchase to the Dome Theater, museum tickets, uh, Dr. Goddard's Lab, Planetarium. Uh, we also have a retail component. Uh, our education uh, programming accounts for about 25% of our, our funding. And then we have a division called SpaceWorks that does restoration, uh, artifact replication, uh, and conservation work for literally groups all over the world, and, and that's a primary component. And then we receive about 18% from a local sales tax uh, there in, in the community. Uh, the community of Hutchinson uh, has support of the Cosmosphere year in and year out. And then the rest is through memberships and, and other fundraising uh, initiatives. How many visitors do you entertain? Uh, we get about 105,000 visitors annually. Um, and then we see uh, thousands of other visitors, whether it's through uh, our outreach programs. In fact, uh, about three weeks ago, uh, we spent the weekend in Dodge City. Uh, a thousand participants came through our, our venue there. Uh, and then we get tens of thousands uh, that see our traveling exhibits. We support two international traveling exhibits uh, that see tens of thousands of uh, visitors on an annual basis. So our reach uh, extends well beyond 200,000 on an annual level. Uh, you have, you talk about educational opportunities, and I've been aware of these in the past, but can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, just, absolutely. We, we, is there still space camp? It, right? it, it is. We have a, a, a really robust um, offering of, of education programs, and, and these are these are hands-on, um, applied type of programming. Uh, and by that, you, you learn a, a formula or a theory uh, in class, in a textbook, but you may not really understand how that applies. So we put our, our participants in a setting where they begin to uh, understand how that theory applies in a practical, real-world sense. And so we have field trip programs um, that are are based on on curriculum utilizing the museum as a backdrop that we offer throughout the year for school kids um, but then our flagship are the the summer camp programs the camps that uh, basically go through uh, a 12-week period over the summer uh, and they start out uh, as, as young as uh, second grade uh, and then enter up into what are called our, our space camp um, and these are levels 101 all the way up through what we call extreme and in 101 the kids fly a simulated shuttle mission with a mission control um, and it, it is all about leadership and critical thinking and team building uh, in 201 they expand upon that but we introduce a scuba activity uh, the astronauts train for their their spacewalks in a neutrally buoyant uh, swimming pool and so we do a scuba activity to simulate that that. 301, our kids go down to Houston and Johnson Space Center and actually interact with the engineers down there and get a behind-the-scenes tour. <laughs> 401, we go to Kennedy and do the same thing down in Florida. 501, they go out to California and visit Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Edwards Air Force Base. And then our extreme is, is a, a really fun camp. Uh, this year, we're doing a, a Western extreme, and we're taking the kids out to Denver and Colorado Springs and, and showing them the Lockheed Martins 
uh, and Boeings, and we're taking them down to uh, New Mexico to show them White Sands, uh, the the old launch complexes where Werner von Braun and his team set up. Uh, so these camps represent a, a great opportunity for kids uh, to really find a passion, and, and it's not necessarily if you want to go to a four-year university or, or if you want to go into the trades. We just want you to find your passion and hopefully ignite that spark. You're listening to Issues 2018 on the Intercom radio stations, and our guest is Jim Rebar, President and CEO of the Kansas Cosmosphere and Space Center in Hutchinson. What's the most popular exhibit? Oh, it's got to be Apollo 13. Um, Apollo 13 is such a tremendous artifact for us. Uh, the, the history behind it, the mission, um, the fact that the mission controllers in, in Houston had to figure out a way to, to return the astronauts safely to Earth. The movie obviously uh, helped that, so uh, almost all visitors who come to the Cosmosphere definitely want to see the Apollo 13. What is it? The is Apollo it, 13 is, it, is, is it, it the capsule? It's or the, the capsule, right. So we, we have the actual command module Odyssey, um, the, the capsule that the astronauts were in, the capsule that was atop the, the service module when the explosion happened. And it's the capsule that they had to figure out how to return and re-enter the atmosphere and, and get the astronauts back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is uh, a, a trim, tremendous piece. And, and, and one of the things that really makes it special to us is we did the restoration. Um, when, when the capsule got back, NASA stripped the interior of the command module and then shipped it off to um, – France. It was in uh, the, the Science Museum in Paris uh, for many years. Uh, the Smithsonian, NASA, and the State Department got it back to the U.S. Uh, this was in the mid-90s, sent it to us where we uh, reintegrated uh, over 80% of the original hardware back into the capsule uh, and then put it on display. And then right next to the capsule, we've got Jim Lovell's flown spacesuit uh, from that mission. So it really makes a special exhibit. Tell us about a couple of your permanent exhibits. Absolutely. So our probably our, our two key exhibits um, are our early space flight gallery. Um, and, and that's the gallery that really showcases the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And, and on one side, you have the Soviet program where we have a flown Vostok and an engineering model of a Vostok capsule. And then on the other side, we've got the Mercury uh, and Gemini programs where the visitor can literally compare and contrast side by side. Uh, the Apollo gallery with the Apollo 13 command module capsule as well as the white room. The white room happens to be my favorite artifact in the collection. And in the white room is is the room where the Apollo astronauts entered, uh, walked across the gantry, uh, and did their final suit checkouts before they were inserted into the spacecraft. And, and to think about the emotions uh, that went through those astronauts and, and were in that room uh, are really incredible. And then another one that, that is a, a favorite of our visitors is our German gallery, where we showcase an actual V-2 rocket uh, from Germany, uh, the, the really the first ICBM, um, and this was utilized uh, during the war. Uh, and then we also have an original V-1, and, and we talk about uh, the development of the rocket, but also uh, the use of, of the slave labor uh, to develop it in, in the concentration camp. So it's a very powerful exhibit that our visitors really uh, enjoy. Does the uh, annual state fair help your attendance? It does to some degree. Um, a lot of 
the visitors to the state fair tend to go to the state fair uh, and and stay there. Um, but we do see some trickle uh, from the fair. Uh, we do have our Dr. Goddard's live science demonstration there on the fairgrounds throughout the dur- duration. Yeah. Uh, and then I've been talking uh, here recently with uh, the interim uh, fair manager, Bob Mater, about how the Cosmosphere and the fair and how Stratica uh, can partner and, and do some things cooperatively together, collaborate uh, throughout the year as well as during the fair um, to really showcase Hutchinson as a, a tourist destination. Let's talk about Kansas and space. Uh, I, I know that the, uh, the gentleman who discovered Pluto... Uh, Clyde Tombaugh, right? Correct. From Burdett, Kansas, which is where my grandmother is. Oh, from. really? So, well, that's uh, neat. So that's there. But what are there other connections? And there are. In fact, uh, Kansas has a tremendously rich uh, history of, of space exploration. You mentioned uh, Clyde um, mm-hmm. Apollo astronaut uh, Ron Evans uh, is from Topeka. Uh, Ron f- was the command module pilot on uh, Apollo seventeen. Uh, Joe Engel uh, was also an Apollo astronaut uh, from Chapman, Kansas. Uh, Joe was slated to fly as the lunar module pilot uh, on Apollo 17, but he got bumped by Harrison Schmidt, the the first uh, scientist. Um, But then Joe flew uh, early shuttle missions, uh, and Joe's a tremendous friend of the cosmosphere. And then Steve Hawley, uh, Salina native and current professor at KU. In fact, Steve and his wife, Eileen, were just at the cosmosphere yesterday yesterday. Uh, Steve, uh, again, is a tremendous supporter uh, of the Kansas uh, or the Cosmosphere. Uh, And then uh, we have a current uh, astronaut, Nick Haig, uh, who is slated to fly up to the International Space Station. I believe he launches uh, uh, on a Soyuz in October. Um, So the the latest Kansas astronaut. And then a lot of people don't realize that uh, Two of the recovery pilots uh, that recovered the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo spacecraft are also from Kansas. Uh, So Kansas is well represented uh, in space exploration, uh, past, present, and future. Uh, The future side, we've got uh, Kansans who are working uh, with scale composites uh, on on their spacecraft, and then uh, the lead uh, test pilot for Virgin Galactic uh, Forger Stuckey uh, is a Kansan. So Kansas is out there. We're proud. Um, you a- answered, I think, partially the, my next question. Do astronauts visit the cosmosphere? And you said that Steve Hall oh, has absolutely. been there. They come back pretty, fairly regularly? Absolutely. Uh, Steve uh, probably is there at least once a year. Um, we, we work with Steve regularly. He serves as an advisor to us. Um, Joe Engel, uh, comes every couple of years, uh, but then we try and have a, a VIP uh, showing uh, from one of the astronauts at least once a year. In fact, uh, this year, December 1st, we're going to have our Earth Rising event, and this is to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8, the first time we sent uh, humans and a spacecraft, a manned spacecraft, to the moon. Um, right now, we've got Jim Lovell uh, slated to come, and Fred Hayes will be here. Uh, several of the mission controllers and flight directors will be in attendance. Um, so that'll be a great opportunity for us. So we're always uh, trying to bring the astronauts in and to uh, showcase the Cosmosphere and, and Kansas. Now, Jim, do you have any fundraising events? We do. Um, we have uh, events uh, specifically uh, for our annual campaign. Uh, we, we tried two new uh, things this year. We did a, a, a 
direct mail uh, campaign, which was very successful for us. And then right now we're doing an online uh, funding campaign through ScaleFunder, uh, and that's helping to support our annual campaign and targeted uh, for the 66 days of camp. Uh, so that it's the first time we've done that as well. Our Jan or a December 1st event uh, will, will be a fundraiser as well. And then next year in 2019, we'll bring back our Everything Under the Stars fundraising event, which is hugely successful and popular. Uh, so we do have fundraising events uh, regularly throughout the year. Do you uh, use volunteers? We do. We, we could not accomplish uh, our mission and our objectives without our volunteer force. Uh, we have approximately 80 volunteers uh, that provide over 2,000 hours of, of service, uh, and that's the equivalent uh, of you know $30,000 employee. So our, our volunteers provide tours. They provide uh, information to, to visitors. They help launch our rockets. Uh, they help with restoration. They help in our camps. Uh, they, they help our curator, Shannon Wetzel, down in the collection department with our artifacts. So without the volunteers, we couldn't, we couldn't do what we do, and, and they're a very important part of our team. Now, what's in the future for the Cosmosphere? Well, we're, uh, we're really looking at um, our strategic plan, our business model, uh, and looking at how we can build uh, our revenue and growth. Um, attendance uh, will always be a challenge for us, um, so we're looking at how we can introduce some other revenue opportunities. Uh, attendance is the backbone. The museum is the backbone, and so we're presently raising funds uh, to do some updates and upgrades for the museum as well as some deferred maintenance. Uh, we hope to have that underway uh, mid-next year, but then we're also looking at growing our education programs. Uh, we've just introduced a blended online curriculum, uh, which we're looking at distributing uh, not just in the state, but nationally and globally. Uh, our SpaceWorks division is presently doing the restoration for uh, the historic mission control down in Houston. Uh, they also have some uh, opportunities coming up down, down the road. Uh, we're looking at creating some smaller traveling exhibits uh, that we can send out, and then just looking at uh, ways we can continue to innovate our, our fundraising drives and initiatives. So a lot of activity. Yeah, my question, next question, what are your biggest challenges? I think you just did. Tell, sure. tell me about them. Well, uh, <laughs> it's it's really um, twofold. It's it's attendance. Um, you know, we're, we're off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, we're not located in a major metropolitan area. Um, so we, we really have to be very strategic in, in how we attract attendance. Um, it, it, it's deferred maintenance. Um, that's a big challenge. Some of our infrastructure uh, is dated, so we have to try and find a way to address it. And then it's it's developing uh, the museum exhibitry that relate to today's visitors, uh, especially children. And then looking at continuing to grow our revenue steam stream to uh, make sure that the Cosmosphere remains financially stable um, for generations to come. So what's your favorite part of the job, Jim? Uh, the challenge. Um, the, the fact that uh, we, we do have a challenge um, and uh, the other is is the opportunities. Um, the Cosmosphere is a tremendous asset for the state and the nation, um, and there are a lot of opportunities out there. And so uh, figuring out how to maximize those opportunities uh, to combat the challenges, um, I really, really enjoy that. And then the fact that I'm working at one of the premier uh, space museums in the world located in my hometown of Hutchinson. Well, and uh, you've talked about 
visitor attraction and, and the value there. But uh, the, the thing that comes through to me is that uh, some tremendous opportunities for especially young people around the state to be involved with the Cosmosphere and, and learn a lot of interesting stuff. Absolutely. And not Ab- just about science. Right. Absolutely. We we have programs. Uh, you know, If you think of, of space or science kind of as the hub, and then the spokes are all the different subject matters. And, and so we have programs uh, that introduce uh, political science, journalism, uh, mathematics, uh, really all the subject matters that, that somebody uh, would need to be introduced to for a variety of, of professions. Uh, and again, we, we aren't concerned with whether you want to become a mathematician or an engineer or a CNC router or a welder. We just want you to find your passion, ignite that spark, and, and do what, what you are excited about. All right. Hey, Thanks for spending some time. And thanks for coming down from Hutchinson and spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Jim. Absolutely. My pleasure. Our guest, Jim Rebar, president and CEO of the Kansas Cosmosphere and Space Center in Hutchinson. That's all for this edition of Issues 2018. We'll be back next week. Again, thanks, Jim, for being with us. Thanks for being with us, Jim Rebar from the Cosmosphere. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.